special edition of the podcast, according to sources. As always, you can go follow us, Podcast A2S. Follow us, that A2S Pod 1 on Twitter and Instagram. Get all of our great content in previous episodes. Tonight is a special episode because myself, Brian Crawford, you see him right there, B underscore Crawford D. I am Sean Davis at SD2Mics. We have a special guest, Alani Great, a former NBA player, Big Ten Network, Fox Sports Network. See him all around. Bartos breakdown before each and every Illinois game and other Big Ten games, tournament games. He is none other than the Illini great Stephen Bardo. Welcome into the podcast, according to sources. Hey, thanks a lot, Sean, for having me, man. I appreciate having the opportunity to join you guys. Man, it's our pleasure. It's interesting conversation, and this is an impromptu podcast because myself and B. Croft got into a heated debate <laughs> with Alana fans today, and it's spread out to like three or four different topics. But the center of that was Adam Miller on yesterday. Of course, he entered the transfer portal um, after the end of his freshman year. And on yesterday, he decided to go ahead and pledge and commit to LSU for his sophomore year. And I want to get your thoughts, and let's go back to your IG post where you gave your original thoughts on when he first put his name in the transfer portal. Yeah, I was um, – when I talk about this situation, I wear two different hats. So I wear my color analyst hat. And I also wear my Illinois alum hat. I wear my former basketball player's hat. So from a former basketball player, you see one of your brothers that's leaving after having a very successful freshman year and being from the state, because he's from Peoria. So being from the state and having the success that he had as a former player, you know, view him as a younger brother, I would like to see him stay and really have a success in a Illini jersey. He's going to be successful wherever he goes because he's a, a really good player, could be a great player. Uh, and I just like to see our own stay at home. So I was disappointed in the fact that he was leaving, but I was also looking at it from a 53-year-old man in the state of Illinois that continues to reap, uh, you know, reap dividends from my decision to play at the University of Illinois and also graduate from the University of Illinois and the opportunities that's opened up for me post-basketball career. So th those are some of the, the feelings that I was feeling at that point. So I, I want to go to one of the major points that, were, that was brought up by a lot of the people we were talking to on Twitter today. And one of those major points was it's been out there, been put out there that uh, the young man, Adam Miller, felt like he wasn't told the truth by Brad Underwood. Mm. And uh, I don't know what that could be built around, with, whether it's him having the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, I'm sure they had an exit interview at the end of the season. And whatever conversation took place between Brad Underwood and uh, Adam Miller, I feel like it should have stayed between them. And that young man is welcome to make whatever decision he wants to make. If he felt like transferring out was the best decision for him, and his future, then ultimately, I really don't think he should be receiving any backlash, especially from the fan base, because I felt like he gave great effort this year during his freshman year. Yeah, Sean, you make some good points. And, 
you know, the thing about you got to remember the word fan is short for fanatical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of emotion wrapped up into these reactions, I would say, from the fan base that you're that you're witnessing and seeing. And I think, the you know, when Illinois has an all Big Ten freshman performer starts every game, sets the scoring record in the first game of the season, those expectations continue to grow throughout the year. And he's on a Big Ten championship team. You know, that doesn't happen every year at the University of Illinois. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that are that come into play when you see the response from fans and the fan base because they want more. They they want to see him, you know, blossom into an NBA player in an Illini jersey. I get that. But I didn't I didn't know that he felt as though uh he wasn't told the truth. But I will say this that there are a lot of things that are being said, but I'm wa- I'm watching what's being done. Mm. And so when you make a decision to leave Illinois and go to, go to a school like LSU, um, you know, that's a that's a big statement. Because I don't think that LSU is on the same level as Illinois. I don't I don't think LSU won a SEC championship last year, whether regular season or conference tournament. So it's not like it, it's not like you're making a parallel move in my, in my opinion, solely my opinion. Uh, so it, it, it's a little, I'm a little surprised, but I'll just say that. I think the style of play, if you look at the teams that was on his short list, I believe it was Kentucky, LSU, Oklahoma. Uh, I forget the, the fourth team, but those are the teams that he was deciding between uh, the competition at Kentucky probably would have been something that he wanted to stay away from because I'm sure he would have had to battle for playing time with that recruiting class they have coming in. And I, I told BC before we hopped on the incredible job that Will Wade did with that backcourt, the young backcourt he had this year, and the way they were yes, able to they, get up and down. You saw that tournament game they had against Michigan where they gave the Wolverines all they could handle. Yeah, I, I just think he probably looked at Will Wade in the style of play and probably saw himself fitting fitting there better rather than coming back and, you know, having Corbello, right, rightfully so, have the ball in his hands the majority of the time. Yeah, I, I can understand that. But, see, guys, I come from a different era right? where competition comes in, okay, good. They're going right, to right. help us. Because if 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 nine guys can play, uh, Litter and Hamilton will find time for nine or ten guys and put guys in lottery picks. Right. So, well, Steve, I think I think you made a point about the team success, and I don't really think these kids really care a lot about that. I agree. I don't that. know, you know, I don't I don't know Adam Miller personally. I don't know what's going on in his head, anything like that. But what I can say is, for a guy that highly recruited coming to the University of Illinois, he's probably thinking, man, I'm trying to get to the league as fast as possible, right? And so. You know, LSU may not be a good team program, so to speak, in terms of success, whatever like that. But that's not what he's looking at. He's trying to get to the money as fast as possible. So I come from the same era as you, where it's like, all right, you know what? If it's some competition in here, they're going to help us win. Cool. But we was about trying to win as a team. Now these these guys are about themselves as individuals and the team success comes second. So I think that may have been the driving force of that. And you also mentioned Cabello. I mean, you were talking about it 
you know, a lot of those shots, they weren't Adam, Adam Miller's. He probably thought he was going to get that. And that didn't happen to him. So I think he probably got disillusioned with the whole situation. And now he's trying to fast track his original plan. And I think he just felt like LSU was probably the best best way for him to, to get there. I, I, I can appreciate that, um, Brian. And, and here's what I'll say to that. The reason why Davion Mitchell is where he is today is because of an NCAA tournament run. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason Corey Kispert is a lottery pick is because he was on a team that got national coverage the whole time he was there. Mm-hmm. So unless you're in a really good fit, like you are the number one option on a, you know, it doesn't even have to be power five, power six anymore. It doesn't have to be that, but you better, you better be in the right position. Cause when you leave Illinois as an all big 10 performer on a big 10 championship team and IO goes pro, I don't care if Corbello got a lot of shine. There's still so much room to do work at Illinois. And they mm-hmm. were expecting him to come in and do that. So I'm not sure that he's going to get a much more fast-tracked route going to LSU than he would have had coming back to Illinois. Because Adam Miller, is, in my opinion, is not a number one option. Okay, he's a, he's a guy that can play off other people. And he can do some spectacular things every now and then. But I, I don't know yet if he can be a number one option at a major uh, power five conference or power six conference scene. So the next thing that we, that entered the discussion was the status of the Illinois program. Mm -hmm. So we began talking about uh, the big 10. I offer my opinion. I said, I know what the big 10 has done regular season wise. Uh, It always puts seven to eight teams in the NCAA tournament. We can't argue about that. I said my issue with the Big Ten is once they make it to the big dance, they seem to be underperforming. And and I think it was uh, which the numbers, I had to compare the SEC because that's where Adam Miller went. Mm -hmm. So over the past, since 2009, I believe eight teams from the Big Ten have made it to the Final Four, seven teams from the SEC have made it to the final four, but in that same span, 16 players have gone in the draft lottery from the SEC and only mm-hmm. five from the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So we started talking about the people around Adam Miller. These are the type of things that they're looking at and they're probably telling him, like, yo, the Big Ten really doesn't put players into the draft lottery if you look at it from 2009 to whereas. You know, the SEC, they have 16 players in the draft lottery since 2009, not considering that the majority of those players came from the same program under Coach Cal at Kentucky. You know, you have to take that into consideration. But I'm sure that's like some of the information he's receiving, and he's probably saying to himself, man, let me get to an SEC program that's more athletic, more up-tempo, and uh, will probably give me a better route. But, but, did, but didn't he get that information going in, though, Sean? Hey, it's not like it's changed from one year to the next. He, I agree. He had that information going into Illinois. But so, this is the thing, Steve. Was it a red flag for you? Brian and I talked about this. Mm-hmm. Remember, he didn't sign his letter of intent. He committed, but he didn't sign his letter of intent. 
initially. Mm-hmm. Jawan Howard gets the job at Michigan. He flirts with Jawan Howard in Michigan. Illinois is sweating. And then he ultimately signs the letter of intent to go back or to go to Illinois. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of this, you have Io pretty much leaning towards going to the NBA. But then the pandemic hits and he announces that he's coming back. So this was just him deciding to go to Illinois. I don't know if he was all the way in. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I just take a look at it, and I don't know if I see a kid that's 100% bought in to Illinois. I think he had questions swirling in his mind early last year, and once the pandemic hit and Io came back, maybe he saw a situation where him and his guy could ball out for a year and go to the league together. Or I don't know what it was, but when he didn't sign that letter of intent initially, it was a red flag for me, especially when he flirted with Jawan Howard in Michigan. Well, I think I'll go back to what Brian said, which is a, a very good point. Um, the motivations for young people coming into college basketball is much different today than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if if you're looking at yourself as a commodity or as an asset, then you're trying to make yourself as attractive as possible for the best situation possible. So you're going to leave all suitors open as long as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we look at it from that standpoint, uh, I kind of understand what he was doing. It kind of goes against what most people have been socialized mm. to think about college basketball right. because these kids aren't supposed to have any rights. They're not supposed to be able to have any freedoms. They're not supposed to be getting paid, and yet everybody else around them that's associated with them is getting paid. So from that angle, from a pro player perspective, I can understand why um, Adam made himself as attractive as possible and kept his name out there as long as possible because if everybody else sees it as a commodity, then now, but, but now there's a problem when basketball players start to take control of their own uh, future and start doing things like this. So it's a two, it's a, it's a double-edged sword for sure, but I can see both sides of it. You know, I think, I think back in the day, like you said, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of kids coming into college play for the name on the front. Now they play for the name on the back, you know? So it's a, it's, it's a different mindset. It's a different mentality. And I think winning comes secondary, you know, uh, I know we talk exactly. college basketball, but you know, Russell Westbrook made a comment maybe like a couple weeks ago saying like winning doesn't define me, um, you know, and that to me, when you come, you know, when you talk about sports, whether it's college or high school or NBA, to me, that's a problem because you are basically saying that, you know, winning isn't as important as making a lot of money or, you know, having a big brand or, you know, living this lifestyle of a basketball player. When winning becomes secondary, then you get situations where guys make decisions based on what it's going to do for them as opposed to what it's going to do for the team long term. Well, and I, I think, Brian, you know, you and Sean are hitting on something that I think needs to be – if ESPN were to do – or Fox or Big Ten, whomever, the network that would stand up and do – a symposium, so to speak, mate. Not a not a symposium, but a study and a, a, a video testimonial of their findings about the way the game has changed. So think about this for a second. 
if you're coming up and ball is life is blowing up and the internet is blowing up, YouTube is blowing up. And then fast forward to 2019, I'm on the set with Mike DeCourcy and Dave Refson on the Big Ten Network set in studio. And we're talking about Zion Williamson and he's at Duke and we have the shoe game. And so everybody's got an idea about Zion. And so I tell Mike DeCourcy, I said, Mike, Zion Williamson made his money before he stepped foot on Duke's campus. He's a YouTube sensation. Mike argued me down to the point that Zion Williamson, nobody even knew about Zion until he got to Duke. So what my, my point was with sharing this is that I'm a unique 53-year-old because a lot of cats my age, they don't think that YouTube is as um, influential. They don't know that there's a whole nother ecosystem going on that has nothing to do with network television, right? right. That these, these players are generating fan bases and momentum before they even get to college, even if they go to college. Uh, Isaiah Washington went to uh, Minnesota under Richard Pitino, and he had Jelly Fam. He had 800,000 Instagram followers before he stepped foot on campus. Now, what I'm going to say has been controversial. I was on television and said this. I think that he got treated differently because he had this power coming into college basketball. Oh, absolutely. Right? And right. so this is the difference of what I'm trying to say is that years ago, there wasn't the there wasn't ball is life. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't these different outlets for these kids that have they've got they got value coming in. And you know, college basketball is just not used to dealing with that. And so that's that's the difference, I think, in, in what we're seeing with young people coming to the game with putting winning first or putting their brand first. Because everybody around them, Brian, they've seen everybody getting paid. Everybody associated with AAU big programs getting paid. Yeah. Uh, assistant, mm -hmm. assistant basketball coaches at the college basketball level getting a million dollars. Everybody's getting paid. You know what? And 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 for as much of an advantage as that is, that's also a problem. You know, yeah. when you got a kid coming in with eight hundred thousand to a million followers, he already feel like he made it. That's you right. know what I'm saying? Like he, like the, like the check is already signed. He just got to get to it. You know what That's I'm right. saying? And and that, to me, I think that makes a lot of a lot of kids work a lot less harder. I think they lose a lot. I think they lose a whole lot of focus on what the bigger picture is. When you start making kids famous at 15, 16, 17 years old, you creating a monster for yourself down the line. It's gonna be a headache for a coach now. That's not always true for, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, we could take Zion as an example. He was well known before he even played his first basketball game at Duke. That's right. But he's a different type of kid versus yeah. Isaiah Washington and the Jelly fan with the finger roll. And we see how that turned out. Like it could go either, you know, it could go either way. That's right. No, I, I, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, when we, we look at these situations and we try to, you know, like, like traditional media, legacy media is so quick because they want to be first. And they I, I don't think we take enough time to look behind. It doesn't take long anymore to look behind the story. Yeah. Just take a look a little bit behind the story. 
and you know you get a little bit more information about some of these motivations. That's why I was trying to explain. I don't know Adam Miller's people, but it's obvious that he's he's getting information mm-hmm. and he's getting influenced to do certain things. Yeah. Because on the surface, it doesn't look like, oh man, like man, he's going against this. But when Brian says, when he brings up that point, you know, he he's looking for the fastest lane to the lead. Right. Mm-hmm. And that might not just be his motivation. And you know, I tell not to cut you off, I tell the story all the time. My son is 16 years old. Um now when he first started like getting into basketball, like really heavy, he might have been like seven or eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was on the internet a lot. Like these kids don't watch TV anymore. They on the internet all the time. Right. Now I remember, you know, I remember he came to me and he was like, Dad, have you heard of Julian Newman? I'm like, no, who is that? And so he said he shows me the video with Julian Newman, and I'm watching this. I'm like, yo, this kid is trash. And he's like, You don't think he's good? I'm like, no, he's not good at all. Look at what he's doing. But at that particular time, Julian Newman was popping on the internet, and that's what he knew. You know what I'm saying? And so to me, like that's that's where it's going. It's it's going away from legacy media to more or less social media. But social media is so uninformed. They're so prisoners of the moment, and they move on yeah. past things so quickly. And it's like you don't even have a chance to digest, and you don't really understand what it is you're looking at. And so that's what we have a lot of people now. You know, whether it be fans or players. You know, you got players that got these mentality where they want to be social media famous, where they succeeded before they've actually done anything. That's the problem with basketball right now. And that's why you have these a lot of these kids making these decisions that they make. I agree with that. And, um, you know, and I know some parents, Brian, that, that, that add to it. You know what I mean? From their yeah. posting things and, and keeping up with them. And, you know, I, and I know one lady whose son start out in Chicago and he's in LA now. And, you know, I thought she was over the top, but she does such a good job with it that you get insight on this kid that you might not get. And that, that type of information is gold for, uh, you know, player personnel directors at the NBA level and college coaches and things like that. So where I was trying to hate it first, cause I was really, I wasn't looking at him. Y'all know what I'm. Uh, you know, oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't looking <laughs> at him, but I, but in the in the process of doing so, I'm like, oh man, this kid, you know, he's got something to him. He's a little bit different, and 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 so on and so forth. So it's a slippery slope, man. And I think it's I I, I like the, the fact that you guys are bringing these things up because this needs to be talked about so it can be improved. Yeah, I had a, you know, I had a, I had a person argue with me like a couple of weeks ago. We was talking about just basketball and kids, and I was like, you know what, I won't, I won't even allow my son to even start having like film being put out on him until he's like going into his junior year, good senior year. You know what I'm saying? They like, oh, you crazy? I'm like, first of all, why does anybody need to see film of a 14 year old? Because when you're 14, you're gonna be a different player when you're 15. You're gonna be a different player when you're 16. And college coaches are not really going to start knocking until you're going to see your junior year. You got your last two years of high school to really show and prove that you can play. So 14 to 15 years old, you don't need to be focused on trying to get your uh, uh, get your video on Ballers Life or whatever these little sites are. That's you don't that's that's a waste of your time. You need to be focused and locked in on your craft. We get to that later. But I get it. it just it's really cringy for me when I see kids 
or adults going crazy over 14 to 15 year old kids. Like that's that's just weird to me. I don't understand that. Well, hey, Carlos, I wanna, before, before we move on, Steve, I want to bring in my guys. They are the ear to the streets, especially for high school basketball and the Chicago land area. And uh, it's none other than my boy Terrence Tomlin and Eugene McIntosh. It's the bigs. Want to bring them into the conversation, especially as we transition. Uh, Steve, I want you to go ahead and continue to comment, and then we're going to transition BC into the status of Illinois basketball and the problems they've been having keeping uh, kids home within the state. But go ahead, Steve. No, I'm good. I mean, go ahead. You can transition in. I'm good. All right. So, as I said before, we got Eugene McIntosh at Stay Humble. My guy, Terrence Tomlin at Tomlin Does It. They are the big, and uh, they are the number one source, really, to uh, get keyed in to high school basketball in the Chicagoland area. And we debated all day, guys. I was just sharing it with Stephen Bardo. We debated with Illini fans all day about the status of the program down there. Um, we had a couple people tell us they were a top five relevant basketball program just based off the last two years. And uh, my question to them was, you know, what's the issue with uh, guys like E.J. Liddell not staying home and going to Ohio State? You got I.O., you got Ace to come. For whatever reasons, I know, Eugene, you had some information about the initial decision. What might have been behind that? But moving forward, I want to start with you, Steve, because, I mean, you're the alumni. You played there. What are your feelings about how the program is looked at in state? Well, I, I think it definitely improved the last few years because, you know, when you look at the Io Sumu, Taylor Horton Tucker situation, I mean, these are two these are two pros, and they both wanted to go to Illinois, and it was something that preceded Illinois that kept them from playing together at Illinois. So the fact that they they were in on those two kids, they got Kofi Coburn, they got Andre Corbello. I mean, they the roster, they were doing great on the roster, but here's the thing. Are those relationships with Coach Underwood or are those relationships mm -hmm. with Orlando Antigua and Ken well, Coleman? Right. And I think we know the answer to that. So Almost definitely. You know, so the program I thought was doing wonderfully in terms of attracting Chicago area talent. Now the question is, uh, can they sustain that? You know, I think I think Underwood was genius for what he did in bringing on Orlando Antigua and Chin because he understood right off the rip, like, yo, I'm not going to win here if I don't get kids from Chicago. Yep. And if I don't get kids from Chicago, I need somebody that's going to get me some kids from someplace else. You know what I'm saying? So. You got Chin working Chicago. You got Antigua working in Northeast New York and stuff like that. And those things right there help build this program and get it to where it is right now. But you're absolutely right, Steve. That relationship is not with the head coach. It's with his assistants. So is Orlando Antigua a bigger loss than Adam Miller? Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, think about it, guys. I And I, I, I don't even want to put this out here. But, I mean, you, you know the possibilities of what could happen based on, you know, these coaches, uh, you know, going both leaving from Illinois to Kentucky. You can kind of see what the possibilities. So, 
you know, it, I, I think um, one player can definitely hurt your program, but when you've got a guy who's considered one of the best in the country, what he does, and you lose him, I think that's a far bigger blow. BC, you had a very – we were talking about recruiting. You kind of brought – shed some light on me because I thought the job that Jawan Howard did with this recruiting class he's bringing into Michigan this year, I was like, man, I think they're a pretty athletic group. And then when you pointed some things out to me, I was like, man, the Midwest base for recruiting for the Big Ten schools might not have the same athletic base as, say, the South or maybe even out West. I thought it was an interesting point. So, Steve, what do you think about that as far as the Big Ten and the recruiting base possibly not being as athletic in the Midwest as some of the schools down in the Southeast or the South and even out West might have as a base? Well, I looked at the city of Milwaukee, and we were to look at the population of Milwaukee and the number of NBA players that they put out in the last decade. They would rank up with Atlanta, Seattle, and Memphis, I believe, or maybe D.C., but they're up there. Um, Indianapolis has put out pros. Chicago puts out pros all the time. The state of Michigan, is uh, Amani Bates is the best high school player in the country outside of Chet Holmgren. He's in Michigan. Um, let me, I, I mean, I can go on and on. The Big Ten footprint encompasses New York, New Jersey, all the way to Nebraska, all, all the upper Midwest. So where there might be better athletes, maybe quicker, higher jumping cats, maybe. Um, I don't know that that's an excuse for the Big Ten not to do uh, better in the NCAA tournament than they have in the past. So what do you think is the main reason they seem to struggle once they get outside of conference play? Historically, this has been the case. I don't know if it's the case now, but historically, the Big Ten coaches wanted a lot of control. Yep. They wanted to control the way guys played. They wanted to control your, your pace of progress so that they can extract what they needed to from you. Um, it's, it's changed a lot. I think I think Chris Holtman is – I don't think there's really – that's what I'm saying. I think it's really changed. I don't know that there's any coaches now in the Big Ten who really want to hold you back or stunt your growth necessarily because it's not the end thing to do anymore. It's not mm – -hmm. you know, it's not something that is uh, accepted practice, if you guys understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So um, I just think that – you know, the Big Ten's got to do a better job of attracting top talent, however they got to do it. And, you know, you can call yourself the Big Ten, you can call yourself an elite conference, but if you can't compete for national championships, how elite are you? That's well said. That's well said. You can't really call yourself. But, I mean, like I said, in comparison to the SEC since 2009, they've been there eight times to the Final Four, sent eight teams to the Final Four. SEC has sent seven teams to the Final Four. And, you know, for most conferences, they really are top-heavy when you start talking about the most successful programs, right? Most of that success, those eight teams, are Michigan State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And it's Kentucky and Florida for the SEC, basically. So um, the Big Ten has always talked about as being the deepest conference. But are those teams up top really elite? I think, you know, this tournament, if, if nothing else, 
And what people really don't understand about the NCAA tournament, the seedings are for the fans. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for intrigue. That's all it is. That's why that's why the, the NCAA loved the fact that they could get Loyola to, to play Illinois in the second round because they knew that Loyola could beat Illinois. And that's intrigue. That's gonna get people to watch. That's gonna hurt that's gonna hurt the tournament moving forward. Yeah. But that's a great story. Sister Jean, she'd been on the scene already. You see what I'm saying? So the, the NCAA term is about matchups. That's it. Solely matchups. What do I always say? Basketball is about narratives. Yes. At every single level. At every single level is about the storyline. It's not about the competition no more. That's right. It better stop being about that. And what people didn't understand, Brian, about this year's tournament, the teams that came from the so-called non-major conferences, out of the 18 qualifiers, I believe 10 or 11 were first or second in their conference. So these weren't Cinderella teams that got hot late and made a couple upsets. These were good old teams all the way through the season that got no love because of COVID. These are real Oral Roberts. Um, uh, well, Houston, everybody knew about Houston, but they didn't think they would go far based on them being in the AAC. But all these different teams that did very well in the tournament, these were good teams, right, that beat Big Ten teams. These were good teams, and it was tough matchups. And that's that's what the NCAA tournament is. 